Welcome to the My Family Coach podcast. I'm Claire and each week you'll find me interviewing a guest expert to find out more about the tricky world of child behaviour, all in handy 15 minute-ish bite-sized chunks. At the end of each episode we'll send you away with three practical tips. It's perfect for parents, carers and professionals working with children. And if this episode leaves you wanting more, you can watch, listen and read our wide range of free resources on the My Family Coach website. I'm joined today by Misha Jane Coleman-Jones. Misha is a senior trainer for Team Teach and director of the Happy Lighthouse, a training and consultancy company which is inspired by Lilia's Lighthouses, created in memory of her autistic sister who sadly died following treatment for leukaemia in 2019. Misha's previous roles include specialist provision leader and head of autism research and development. And this is part two of a two-part bumper episode about neurodiversity into neuroharmony. And we join the episode where Misha is talking about her neurodiverse son, Alfie, and his difficulties during a recent family visit. Enjoy the episode. Well, funny enough, recently we were at meeting family and Alfie just kept interrupting his great-grandparents, right? Mm. And, you know, I kept saying, stop interrupting you know, wake turn, um, and it just kept happening. And in that moment, you know, this is not a perfect mum moment, but I felt quite <laughs> frustrated. So as we were walking out to the car and he was holding his switch, Nintendo switch in his hands, I took it out of his hands. I didn't tell him why, I just took it. <laughs> not not proud of it, but I, just, but I did it. Yeah, I was cross. Yeah. I we're not perfect, yeah. We got into the car, right? And, and he said, oh, well, you know, well, why have you done that? And I said, why do you think? But really, if, you know, if I was in school, I wouldn't have said that because I know that sometimes that asking questions like why and how, they're like the most mm. complex questions to answer. You know, but, I, you know, I did. I said, why, you know, why do you think I took it? And you know, I was asking him to, to be able to reflect. And he was like, mum, I have no idea. <laughs> you know, he hadn't recognised that maybe something was uh, could have been better or that other people were feeling frustrated that he kept interrupting. So he hadn't, ha- you know, he hadn't really thought about that. And Alfie's incredibly, you know, he's kind, he's got a good heart, he's environmentally conscious, like he's, you know, it, it would have upset him to know that somebody felt like that. So, I, you know, I started talking about it and about the reasons why. And even Alfie t- said, uh, but I don't think taking my switch is going to change my behaviour. <laughs> <laughs> And he's eight years old, and I'm sat in the front, and I'm thinking, he's right, he's right. Oh, <laughs> he just needed that scripting to understand, you know, what were his actions, what was the impact on people, so how did they perceive that, what did that then make them think, you know, and and it just kind of being able to break that down. And not everybody needs that. Not everybody needs that broken down for them. So I can see that Alfie needs a different level of support a different approach with understanding why you know his behavior and what else he can do so then we had a really good chat about what we are both going to do next time when that happens so that he has a better you know signal and, and mm. he can, so it's much more positive so it, it didn't start positively but we, you know we did you know we did that through with each other so yeah it's just noticing when things are sort of kind of not uh, matching up but you know kids kids as well it's part of yeah. you know d- development and understanding of world and people and how we connect with each other and 
also we've got to respect that people have got you know different cultures and different communities will mm. have different social expectations and I and I guess it's about us being able to go you know what what are the bits that are really important um so yeah and I did ask uh, his teacher a while ago whether she felt that something else was going on whether maybe mm. he, you know he does have ADHD um and I don't she didn't seem to think that was an issue at the time but certain things are coming up at school and there was an uh, an issue where um, I think he he might have misunderstood um, the intentions of another child and that led into a bit of a play fight situation and Alfie's reflection of that was that his body went out of control mm. and I thought you know that it's, a, it's probably an accurate reflection you know if you're very stressed you're not always in control of, mm. of what you're doing so um, I guess what's really important is that we help Alfie to be able to kind of stop and go I need help to stop and then I need to think about my options and then find a better way forward um, because I don't want him to go through school thinking that he's got these labels of being naughty or being wrong and and him not quite getting it right. Yeah, it's it's having that balance, isn't it? Where hopefully, you know, with with someone like Alfie or you know another another child going through something similar in in a family, that 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 label is is really helpful in the sense of all the things that you're talking mm-hmm. about, your harmony. Mm-hmm. celebrating the strengths that, that that person has but I suppose the flip side is is that sometimes the labels even around um, ADHD autism uh, yeah. can be seen or perceived as quite negative and you know this person can't do this yeah um, and yeah there's always a bit of weighing up or, or, yeah. or there's a lot there's lots of arguments aren't there around the idea that we're over labeling um as well yeah. um so yeah lots I think I think what also um, is quite tricky is when you're um, so at my me and my partner will talk about sort of things that we're seeing and, and how we need to respond to them. And especially when children grow and they'll have new behaviours, you think you've got it nailed one day and then the next day something different happens. And sometimes it's just being able to go, you know, do I need to talk about this right now? Or can actually just walk away and and think about it first and Mm. and then come back to it. And so what I often find myself doing is just kind of resolving something, calming the situation down. And then I won't talk about it with my son at that point because I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to react in the wrong way. So I'll try and walk away and, and then I'll kind of go and speak to my partner. But having... Uh, understanding or or some understanding of autism and ADHD and you know that might be really helpful in in then thinking what is the best way of actually talking about this and doing that bit of debrief after so that it doesn't keep happening you know that we can reduce the chances of that happening Mm -hmm. again in the future but the reality is you know my son will struggle with really strong emotions such as anger and so, you know, it's, I could say to him, when you're feeling angry, I would like you to do X, Y and Z. But the reality is that angry, feeling angry is a strong emotion, right? So if something makes him instantly angry, that's going to be really difficult for him to then think sensibly and make the right choice in terms of what we agreed. And, and so 
I keep that in mind so that I'm not then cross at him for, for not doing what we said. Because, you know, if, if, we, if there's time to get there before he feels cross and then he does it, then that's great, right? Yeah, and I think this has come up a few times on the podcast where we have to be able to have quite a growth mindset within our parenting styles or professional styles or you know if we're teaching or we work in 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 the care industry we've got to I guess I'm talking about being flexible Mm. and rigid thinking um can be really difficult I mean I know I mean I've talked about on the podcast before but I definitely have traits of perfectionism that I've been working on so hard and it's you know you know and and some people might see that as a strength but it's really not because actually perfectionism can be quite rigid and being able to be flexible in the way that we think can help us to be more empathetic and not have unrealistic expectations and you know right. holding people up here I think that's really yeah. important I think yeah the message that I always want to give to families when I talk to them is like look <laughs> you know we try our hardest you know we love our children it's not because we don't love our children and it's just sometimes I can easily become frustrated with some of the things that Alfie does and because he loves to move and he loves to move which means there's lots of noise well I really struggle with noise mm-hmm. so that can be a real sort of collision <laughs> and so I'm trying really hard but you know we'll have moments where you know we might do something or say something and then on reflection we go actually maybe I shouldn't you know have reacted in that same way and and then we do our own planning so the chances are that's probably going to happen again that you know that behavior that I've just seen and what he just said that that is probably going to happen again but I'm going to plan ahead now because I know that's going to trigger me so I'm going to plan ahead I'm going to think about what I'm going to do next time but also you know what I'm going to do to try and reduce that from happening again if that makes sense so it wouldn't be ideal if Alfie just carries on interrupting his family because I know he doesn't want to do that and and he loves his family dearly so I need to kind of help him to be more successful at having that communication interaction yeah yeah Yeah, because he cares and you care that's you know really (laughs) where it comes back to um I'm conscious of time and I want to make sure that we get the three tips of a summary of the things that we've talked about. So, yeah, just give us three, three things, you know, for people to take away from listening. Um, I think what's really important is that you, um, you know, look out for find um, a good network of support. Um, Mm. And if you can't find one, then create one. Um, And remember when my sister was diagnosed and my stepmom at the time she was aware of one or two other parents um, of children of autistic children and they set up a whatsapp group so that they can sort of have that little network um over time that that support group has grown massively I think the last time I checked there was something like 74 people um in in there and I know that that's not for everyone. They think I turn my phone off and I, when I turn it back on, there's two. <laughs> no, it's not that bad. But what I've noticed, which I think is so lovely, is that whenever a parent is going through something for the first time, 
you know, they'll sort of sense check it in the group. If they, they've got a meeting to attend, somebody will offer to advocate and, and come along and support, even if they've never met before. Um, someone's completed a new form in for the first time, you know, someone's already done it. And so I've seen how much um, the families that have really benefited from that, you know, and, and so I think that's great. And I think that will be a really great thing about my family coach that uh, a community and, and yeah. being able to connect people who um, have those lived or personal experiences so I think that's really important I've I found my network of support um I told you I stalked someone <laughs> I didn't quite not in the You're committed major um, but even in a, a previous job I had at school in Liverpool um, I was head of autism research and development and when I was leaving there I was asked to do a handover with somebody and that handover had to be done online because of the lockdown. But during that handover, I was like, I want to be your friend. <laughs> you, you understand the things that I'm talking about. And so um, there's, a, there's a few uh, women that I'll meet up with once a month and we, or, you know, whenever we can. And we talk about things like this. Um, I've never even met them in real life and I hope I do. But it's that network. Um, mm-hmm. which I think is really important um, another one it's an, it's an interesting one and it's something that I've thought about more often since working more closely with families what I've noticed is that families are getting much better at understanding um, you know their, their children the needs of their children and the things they're really good at and, and have got much better at being able to advocate for them so much so that I think in some circumstances families are trying to uh, encourage schools to understand Mm. and to change some of their practices and approaches which might accidentally discriminate against their children so um, and and I've seen that but what I think is really helpful is to look at your child's school um behavior policy Mm. and accessibility plan and just you know have a look at those things and have a think about you know from your point of view from your child's point of view is there anything written in there that might unintentionally discriminate against them so for example I see sometimes approaches in schools which can penalize children for different things including becoming distracted or losing focus and Mm -hmm. I think oh my goodness what about the group of children that by the very nature of their diagnosis will do that yeah yeah and and so then having those kind of proactive uh, positive chats about how that could actually be reworded or rethought about to be better inclusive um not in a kind of professionals versus family sense at all but actually moving towards working together and I think families hold so much knowledge and schools um, and other uh, you know organizations would really benefit from tapping into that so that idea of co-collaborating and working together I think would be really important and and I guess finally what's uh, I think going to be most helpful moving forward is if we start looking at what are the strengths and interests Mm -hmm. of a person and that's not to ignore or sweep under the rug things that people find difficult I do think that there's a really important um, role to play in terms of being aware of the things that people find difficult 
But instead of talking about what children can't do, there needs to be a much bigger switch to what they can do. Um, because, you know, thinking about the last 10 years, the young people that I've worked with, I've noticed that some of the older ones have a real sort of uh, disconnect. They don't they don't want to be seen as being autistic, for example. Mm. And that's because they've spent so long being told what limitations that brings. Yeah. And I had a really, really interesting conversation with a young person in Liverpool recently. Um, he's desperately looking for a job. He wants a job. He wants to be independent. Um, he, you know, he, he absolutely has something to offer, but keeps having his applications rejected, not having his voice heard. Mm. And he, we had a conversation about being able to walk into the room and just say, you know what, I am autistic. And this is how it's going to benefit your organisation rather than, and these are the reasonable adjustments that I require, you know, reasonable adjustments, should, I think, should just be the norm for, for anybody because yeah. so many people um, maybe have those needs but don't have that label. Yeah. And, and actually, when we start to normalise reasonable adjustments, I think we're just going to create much better um, workplaces and, and, and schools. Um, so I think focusing on strengths and interests are really going to help with that sense of uh, empowerment and positive self-esteem and, and confidence. And neuroharmony. <laughs> and neuroharmony. <laughs> That's what leads to neuroharmony because, you know, and, and for children to, to know right from the start that there are different ways of thinking. And um, one of the best lessons I ever taught was to a year eight group um, and it was a math lesson. And this was when I was a assistant head teacher at the school. And so I just kind of had the odd lesson with different groups. Right. And I could stand at the front and say, this is one way of doing something. And I absolutely guarantee there's at least three other ways in the room that achieves the same result. And so we normalized the pupils telling their way of getting there and how they did it and celebrating that too and not having this rigid one size fits all approach and it's just not helpful because you know you instead of having an understanding of differences in the room some children would find differences odd or have something to say about it which was negative and it just needs to be it just needs to be normalized it just needs to be celebrated yeah, absolutely. And such brilliant advice there, Misha. Like genuinely, I think there's loads for parents, carers, professionals to take away. It's been an absolute pleasure to finally kind of meet you, not in person, but on yeah. Zoom. And I've really enjoyed our chat and we'll have to get you back on uh, for another chat soon. Well, I just want to say thank you so much. And just being able to sit here and talk about something that I like talking about, it's just a nice thing to do anyway. You've been listening to the My Family Coach podcast. Thank you for joining us as we lift the lid on the challenging world of child behaviour. Remember to subscribe to listen to all our episodes and there's heaps more helpful support for all your parenting needs on the My Family Coach website. Thanks again and I'll see you next time.